Hello and welcome to Combat Classics Podcast. I'm Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And Jeff Black at St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. We are continuing our slow read of the Iliad, going book by book with one book per episode. We are up to book 11, and Shiloh is going to give us an overview, and Jeff's going to ask us an opening question. So over to you, Shiloh. Yeah, book 11, you get kind of line of replacements for Achilles in a certain sense, all of whom have difficulty. So the book starts off with the Achaeans in the kind of down position. Uh, a bit of a panic. And then Agamemnon puts on this extraordinary armor and goes to town. And I mean, it takes no prisoners. Agamemnon is lighting it up. It's really, really awesome. And it's impressive. And I feel like, Brian, it justifies all of your defenses of Agamemnon in the past, which I found repugnant. But uh, which which today Agamemnon, uh, he plays the game. So he's an MVP. But um, and so while he's, you know, rolling heads, Zeus tells Hector, hey, you got to you got to wait until this guy gets this out of his system. Um, he's going to be wounded. Once he's wounded, you, it's your turn. And so, lo and behold, Agamemnon gets wounded. He is forced off the field. Hector begins the charge. And then you get a kind of panic among the Achaeans and then a, a line of Achaean heroes trying to step in and hold the line. You get Odysseus and Diomedes to begin with. They sort of say, look guys, you know, we can do this. I'm, you know, have courage. Diomedes uh, uh, begins to throw down sort of wounds or at least scares Hector but then Paris the coward that he is shoots an arrow in Diomedes uh, foot and so Diomedes is taken off taken off the field and put on the sideline then Odysseus starts to go to town but he's encircled by a bunch of Trojans does a great job but is ultimately wounded through the ribs and so then Ajax steps up and sees the panic and carries Odysseus back to camp so the Achaeans are really kind of on the on the ropes at this point. Hector begins to assault hardcore, charges the Greek uh, ships. There's then this moment where uh, this healer, Macon, is that how you Macon uh, is wounded by by Paris, and so there's this great retreat, and Nestor ends up conveying uh, conveying this healer back to the camp. And Achilles sees this and sort of Achilles, it looks like Achilles is sort of just watching everything go down. And he's wondering who is this guy who they're carrying wounded off the battlefield, doesn't look good. So he says to Patroclus, hey Patroclus, go and in, in, investigate. See who this is, who, who's wounded, see how things are going. It doesn't look good. And so Patroclus goes and finds Nestor. Nestor tells him who, who was injured, but Nestor also says, look, you've got to persuade Achilles to come back. If you can't persuade him to come back, then what you need to do is put on his armor and go out and sort of exude his aura to, to scare the Trojans because we're really down right now. And so this is how this is how book 11 ends. Yeah, thank you, Shiloh. Uh, so my question is, is it possible to spoil the Iliad? Because it kind of presupposes, or what I'm about to ask kind of presupposes that we know something about what's going to happen in subsequent books here. I guess the, the safest thing to do is just to say a little bit, which is that if Patroclus puts on Achilles' armor, certain events will follow that will mean that Achilles will return to the fight and not in the way that he had envisioned in Book 9. You remember Book 9 consisted of a series of different positions Achilles took about whether and when he would return to the fighting. 
But it turns out that the plot of the Iliad is going to go in a different direction and Achilles is going to return to the fighting for a different reason. Now, why he returns to the fighting is the effect of a series of causes that it looks like begin in this book. And I'll point out the passage where Homer says that things begin. It's around line 604. Shiloh, you just said that uh, Nestor is bringing this healer, Macaon, back to the ships to, to treat him. And then Homer says, And swift-footed noble Achilles looked on and caught sight of him, for he was standing on the stern of his ship, huge of hull, gazing on the utter toil of battle and the tearful rout. And immediately he spoke to his comrade Patroclus, calling to him from the ship, and he heard and came out of the hut like Ares, and this to him was the beginning of evil. Right, so a very foreboding um, claim from Homer. This is the beginning of evil for Patroclus. So my question is this, what are the various causes we see in Book 11 that seem to contribute to what we're going to find out eventually is Patroclus' decision to do what Nestor suggests, namely to put on Achilles' armor and join the fight? Can we see what is moving things this early in Book 11 towards Achilles returning to the fight eventually and towards eventually the end of the Iliad? Yeah, I think that something that jumps out at me is, in, you know, we have another battle scene, right? This one seems a little extra gory. You know, we get a lot of details of blood spurting out of people and heads being lopped off and things like that. And we've, we've run into battle scenes before. I think what's interesting about this is that it's the main characters of the mortals are all involved, especially on the Greek side. Um, a lot of them are wounded. And the only gods that are around are just Zeus, who's just watching. And the only like kind of demigods that he gets involved is, is Strife, this demigod called Strife, and Iris the messenger. And so it was interesting to me especially around your question, Jeff, of like, how are things in motion? That it seems like the mortals are are kind of dictating what's going on to a degree. But then there is this kind of background thing called fate that's guiding it as well. But it's not what we've seen in previous books where, you know, Apollo swoops in and saves this person or the, the kind of major gods really get directly involved. So... It, I feel like that kind of it maybe doesn't answer your question, but frames the question a little bit is that it seems like the mortals are doing stuff more than the gods. And so I guess to build on that question is like, you know, is this part of the gods plans yeah. or are the mortals, you know, driving the action a little bit more in what's going to happen? Yeah, my, my sense is that if, you know, you had to give a number to it, it's like 10% divine and 90% and mortal in one sense, right? I mean, Zeus is running the whole show. I think that's clear. And, you know, his running the whole show in part means that the other gods aren't getting involved, right? So there's strife and there's uh, Iris, as you say, serving chiefly as a messenger. And it looks like Zeus is running things so that the Greeks will, um, they wake up in their camp with the Trojans in the field all around them. The Greeks will push the Trojans back to almost under the walls of Troy, and then they will themselves get pushed back in the other direction so that by the end of the book, the Trojans are again at the wall of the Greek camp. So it's this out-and-back motion which is being governed by Zeus. 
so in that sense, it, it does look like it's largely uh, the divine that's running things. But then inside this context, there's a, a very human drama that's being played out between Achilles, Patroclus, and Nestor. And that's the part that I, I don't understand. I mean, it would, it would have been fine, I think, as far as the will of Zeus is concerned, that the Trojans should succeed, they should press in, they should be fighting around Achilles' ship, and Achilles should say, enough is enough, they're fighting around my ship, that's what I said. You know, the last thing I said is I would return to the fight when that happened. Here I go. And he returned to the field and, and presumably um, take Troy uh, because he finally put his mind to it. But that's not the way Zeus intends Achilles to be honored, right? And it's not the way Zeus intends the Greeks to suffer Achilles' absence as punishment for dishonoring Achilles at the beginning, so yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the, the sort of mortal things that are happening inside this divine envelope of uh, the will of Zeus. And I guess maybe the first piece of it for me is Achilles thinks he knows who the wounded soldier is. He thinks he knows it's Macon because he can see the back of his head. But he nonetheless says, you know, Patroclus, off you go and see who that is. What, what do we make of that? I mean, it seems like Achilles, you know, Achilles says... When he, when he kind of pops back into this book. I'm trying to find the line, but I remember him saying something like, oh, they're going to have to ask me to come back now. Because he sees, he's on, he's, on the, he's on his ship, he's looking out at the battlefield, and he says, oh, they're definitely going to ask me to come back. And it's like, well, dude, they just did that two books ago. And you said you would, like you said, Jeff, the last thing that Achilles says is that if they're fighting around the ships, then he'll come. But he wants the ask, you know, he wants somebody to come and ask and he doesn't see that. So it's like, oh, maybe if Patroclus is around, they'll remember that I said this and maybe they'll come and ask and then maybe I'll go fight. This seems to be the maneuvering that's going on there, which is which is deft, right? It's it's a, you know, I love in the Iliad and this happens in Shakespeare a lot, right, where, you know, kind of people talk around what they want and kind of like maneuver very slyly, but don't come out and say what they mean. And I think that Nestor's story is doing that to a certain extent here in this book. But, and I don't know if he's drunk or something because the first thing he does is like chug this wine with goat cheese and barley meal. But he tells, you know, Nestor tells another long story around 660 that goes on for a while a couple of pages which seems weird i mean i i have a hypothesis as to why he's doing that which is basically just saying like i was billy badass when i was a kid i'd be billy badass again if i was still a kid it's cool to be a billy badass <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> wouldn't you want to be you know this patroclus yeah. here's a way to do it you know and he just kind of Instead of talking sideways, or maybe he is talking sideways because he's telling him to put on the armor knowing he's going to get killed, but at least tells him, like, hey, why don't you do this? So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of answered my own question, but I, I'd, I'd like you guys' thoughts on that Nestor story. And especially thinking about how that moment relates to the book as a whole. It's carnage and carnage and warfare and warfare. And now we're in a hospital tent, and Nestor's kicking back, drinking some wine, and telling stories as the battle is raging you know, just on the other side of the Greek's wall. 
Jeff, I, you probably have something to say about the story. I, I'm interested in the Nestor story too, but I, I just want a, a point of clarification on what you said a moment ago. Are, are you are you uh, indicating that Achilles knew that he was sending Patroclus in to um, that Achilles was somehow sending him in as a kind of bait to justify his own reentry, and then you know is that is that uh, what you have in mind, it's not so much Nestor who's causing this, that it's Achilles who's causing this, and that Achilles has dangled this man out there. That would be the, the worst possible interpretation from my perspective, but I, I'm not sure that it's untrue. In other words, I'm willing to entertain it, right? So I think the best case is I want the Greeks here on their knees begging me to return. They have somehow overlooked this possibility. So Patroclus, go and remind them of my existence. Middle position to me seems uh, something like this. Patroclus, you're a softy. I know you cry uh, more frequently than I do, for example. Go and uh, see the Greeks and see how they're doing. They're going to persuade you, and then you're going to persuade me. So really what I want is not all the Greeks on their knees, but you, Patroclus, on your knees in front of me, saying, please come back. I can't take it anymore. Have you any idea how many heroes there are, right? That's a possibility who are wounded. That's a possibility that Nestor entertains. Um, and then worst case is, I know you won't be able to take a Patroclus. I want you to go out there. You're going to want to return to the fray. You'll do it. You'll get killed. And then I will have to return. I find that very hard to um, imagine and hold together in my head as a possible thought of Achilles. But, you know, it's it seems to me in the range of things that could explain this funny sequence of events that seems to get things started. I just want to know what, what Achilles, does he really just want to confirm the identity of this one guy? That seems unlikely to me. Yeah, no, that seems rel relatively unbelievable. And I mean, the thing that jumps in my mind is, you know, in Iraq, we had SEALs that were part of the kind of what we called MNF West, Multinational Forces West. And they would just kind of disappear for a little while. They'd get like locked on base and be like, you guys, just stop. You, you guys are not allowed off base. And they would start sending uh, people to more meetings. So we'd have, you know, like regimental meetings that the SEALs would never come to. And then they'd kind of get like restricted on base and they would send somebody to be at the meeting who had their trident on and their ridiculously long hair and like their unbloused boots, which doesn't make a great impression on Marines. But it was, I, I always took it as like, hey guys, we're here. We, we're still around. Like, do, do you want us to go shoot some stuff? Like, we're, we're available if you ask us. So I looked at it as kind of like just normal military bureaucratic um, maneuvering to mm -hmm. a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Born of Achilles' doubt that he is, in fact, as important to the Greeks as he thinks it is. I mean, we've entertained these doubts, right? We've looked at the second string heroes of the Greeks and we've said, hey, look, it looks like they could just act freely without interference. They could really take the Trojans. Maybe Achilles is thinking, well, why, why aren't they at my knees now? Or maybe he thinks they're, so, they're suffering so much, they're so damaged that they're kind of beyond the ability even to ask him for help. So he's waited too long. That might be another possibility. But either one of those possibilities, I think, Achilles could go himself. Maybe he's too proud for that. He certainly could go to figure out who the soldier is that's just been brought by. It'd even be faster. You know, he's probably a faster runner than Patroclus is, right? But yeah, I just, 
I have difficulty getting in Achilles' head right now. And and um, is he? Do you think he's aware of the succession of heroes who have fallen, too, or he's not aware of that? Because he, he's watching. Okay, I suspect not. Well, then what is the yeah. point of that? I, I really liked that. Um, I don't know. I thought dramatically it was uh, it was you know interesting structurally. You know, you know, you, everybody's trotted out Agamemnon, best of all. I just wonder, do you guys have any sense for what Homer's trying to do? I mean, the only thing I thought of was, well, these are all what we're doing is we're got we're about to bring Achilles back in, but first we have to show that every single alternate uh, or possible stand-in or replacement is inadequate, and so they're all wounded. But is there more to it than that? That that possibility occurred to me that instead of isolated victories by the Achaeans against the Trojans, which is what we largely get in the previous books, right? One on one, it looks like the Achaeans win. Now we have really the Trojans on mass are defeating the Achaeans on mass, and so it makes sense that Agamemnon would fall first, and then you'd work your way through the ranks so that even Ajax has to withdraw. So yeah, that made some sense to me as a kind of indication of the totality of the Greeks' danger. And I guess it leads to this scene where Nestor gets to read through a list of uh, heroes who have been wounded to Patroclus, which might aggravate the situation as far as Patroclus is concerned. It's one thing for Achilles to say, I've got it in for all these people because they didn't support me. Find that they suffer and I'm just going to wait till they come to me and say, I need help. But Patroclus, I think, might have a harder time with that thought. There's one thing that Nestor says right at the end of his story, and I do, I do want to talk about his story, by the way. But at the end of his story, one of the things he, he says is, let's see, it's a long story. This is at 763. Such was I, if indeed I ever was among warriors, but Achilles will have profit of his valor alone. That remark, it seems to me, might be a barb directed at Patroclus, which is to say that I think part of what Nestor's story stretch, uh, stresses is the social context of his victory the way it was good for his whole people. That's one aspect of it. Achilles is going to get the victory, but he seems to care about victory regardless of whether it's also good for his fellow soldiers. And maybe Patroclus is more like Nestor than he is like Achilles, and Nestor is, is thinking that. When you say Patroclus is more like Nestor, then what you're suggesting is that Patroclus is going to be moved by seeing the wounded in the tent, seeing the Greeks being pushed back, and then that's why he can pitch, hey, go put on Achilles' armor, because you'll save the Greeks. You, nobody will even know it's you. And I know, Nestor, that that's not important to you. What's important to you is trying to save your friends. But for Achilles, I mean, it's almost, it might almost, yeah, it's almost a barb at Achilles, right? Like, Achilles just would do this. If he does this, he's going to do it for himself. But you, Patroclus, you tender-hearted soul, like, you know, if given the opportunity, you would do this mm -hmm. for your people. I take the thrust of the story to be something like this. Tell me if, if you two agree. When I was young, my father told me not to fight, even though I was a very good fighter. I diso disobeyed him, fought, I killed 100 men, seized 50 chariots. You are older than Achilles, not younger, your father told you to counsel Achilles, right? He wasn't prohibiting you from fighting. You know, you have the opportunity to uh, obey your father 
and disobey Achilles, you're the kind of guy who um, is about the relationship between you and Achilles, right? Not primarily about the fighting. So you should, you know, follow what your father recommends here. Don't do what Achilles seems to want you to do. So it's tough because it looks like Nestor is kind of on both sides of the do you obey your father, do you disobey Achilles equation. And maybe it's kind of tough for him to make the case. But that was my sense of the thrust of the story. No, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, I guess, I guess I'm just wondering, like, where are the good guys in this? Who are the good guys, you know? And, and what, what are the noble means that they're mm-hmm. trying to achieve? You mean Nestor's not a good guy and Patroclus is not a good guy? I'm just wondering, you know, like, yeah. is is anybody on the Greek side a good guy? Is anybody on the Trojan side a good guy? Hector is, sure, he's protecting his his country and his people and his family, but, you know, he's doing so. He's, he's also protecting a lawbreaker. He's protecting Paris, who broke the law in stealing Helen, right? So I, I was just kind of, you know, reading all this carnage and reading all this bloodshed, I was just asking, who are the good guys here? Who should I be rooting for? Who is, who's Homer trying to get me to root for? Is another question. Is Homer trying to get me to root for somebody? I don't know. And I, and I, I think that's, I mean, maybe that's a, a reason why this is such a compelling book that people go back to again and again is because maybe you think you know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. But then in war, do those ideas exist? Do those things exist? Are there good guys and bad guys in war? Or is it something that you have to ask yourself, like, wait, why are we doing this? And wait, are we the baddies? You know, like questions like that, I think, are baked into the way Homer describes this. Well, can can I try something maybe provocative uh, just in terms of this notion of a good guy? Patroclus strikes me as a kind of um, compassionate hero. And in that sense, he might really fit our modern tastes. He might be easier to understand than, say, Achilles, or maybe even than Nestor, right? Who just can't shut up about, you know, I killed a hundred guys, right? You know, that's, that's the way I was when I was young. And his compassionate character seems to be reflected both in the sense that he's the, he's the guy who gets told, look, all these heroes have been wounded, Right, not just the one you saw go by. And also he himself is a healer, it looks like. He has some skill. And so he's he's a counselor, he's a healer, he's the companion of Achilles, he's older than Achilles. There I think are a number of things in there that might make him seem like more of a sympathetic character than Achilles himself. But there's this risk that he's a kind of patsy, right? That he is just being manipulated by one human being, maybe Achilles who is a far harder and tougher human being than he is, and another human being, Nestor, who is a, a far wilier and clever human being than he is. And that we're, you know, as readers, maybe we're being invited to really like Achilles and Nestor more, right? That there's something just flawed about Patroclus. This is where the evils begin for you, Patroclus, right? Because you're a softy. So for me, that's one of the challenges of this book. Do I even know what a good guy is? Right? Maybe this cold breath from ancient Greece, right, or even pre-ancient Greece, says, no, you don't know. 
you're wrong about what a good guy is. Yeah, and maybe that's a good a good time to end it. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Shiloh. Book eleven, complete. Listeners, you can find us at Combat and Classics uh, on all the socials. CombatandClassics.org is our website. I'll put a little plug, depending on when you listen to this. I did just do uh, last week a podcast for Shakespeare Decoded, which is the Shakespeare Dallas podcast. I did that with Stephen Wolfert, who runs a organization called Decruit. It just talks about uh, transitioning from uh, active duty military to back to civilian life and kind of the the things that happen in that transition. And he uses Shakespeare to kind of help folks through that. So Shakespeare decoded, you can find it on all the, all the things. And if you want to listen to me and Steve talk about that, you can. So thanks guys. And thank you listener. And we'll be back for book 12. Thanks guys.